Hey everyone, this is Connor. Before we get started, I just want to encourage you to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. If you become a patron, you'll get access to multiple exclusive episodes every month. And you can also join our patrons-only Discord chat, where Pete and I talk informally with the Podside Picnic community. So if you like the show, go ahead and check us out at patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. Thanks. Scott H. Andrews is a chemistry and writing teacher, a musician, a writer, and an editor. His short fiction has appeared in Space and Time and Anne Vandermeer's Weird Tales, and he is editor-in-chief and publisher of the Hugo Award finalist fantasy magazine Beneath Ceaseless Skies, or BCS. BCS specializes in literature adventure fantasy, character-centered fantasy stories set in other worlds, published online, and as ebooks and audio podcasts. In 12 years, BCS has per- published over 650 stories and 250 podcast episodes by authors such as Yoon Ha Lee, Alette de Bodard, uh, Marie Brennan, Gregory Norman Bossert, Seth Dickinson, Fran Wilde, Troy L. Wiggins, and Saladin Ahmed. BCS is an eight-time finalist for the Hugo Awards, a nine-time finalist for the World Fantasy Awards, and a multiple finalist for the Nebula, Locus, and Parsec Awards. Read their fiction online at BeneathCeaselessSkies.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Podside Picnic. Uh, I'm here uh, not with Connor for a change, but with Scott Andrews. Uh, I'll provide more details up front, but Scott is the uh, the engine behind Beneath Ceaseless Skies, which is a short story magazine which I've been subscribed to for quite a while. But uh, well, we'll talk about that when we get into it. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show, Scott. Sure. Thank you very much for having me. Absolutely. So I'd like to start this episode with a confession, which is I've been a subscriber of Beneath Ceaseless Skies for about half a year, but I was doing it to support a writer friend and, you know, for the show, I have to do a lot of reading. I Like, I wasn't reading the stories. So... I reached out to you. You, We started talking about episode 300. You got me some advanced copies of these stories. And it was like I was in my childhood again, like collecting those science fiction magazines that I was so into. And like it, it it's such a different experience than when you're reading a book. And I guess... Uh, I guess what I have to ask, because this needs to be a question, is genre writing getting better over time, or are you just a great curator, or like what's happening here? Uh, well, I mean, I, I I could be self-effacing about uh, about uh, my, my own curation and uh, and tastes. Um, what what I think is happening, <laughs> especially um, and absolutely, a chuckle is absolutely uh, warranted there. You know, in this audio medium where people can't see us, uh, you know, smirking as we talk. Um, <laughs> Uh, for me, especially as a fantasy reader, I think, you know, science fiction and fantasy overall has a great tradition of short stories, um, you know, in fantasy going back to stuff like Robert E. Howard's Conan and Fafford and the Grey Mouse or the, the duo of rogues, thieves uh, stories that Fritz Leiber did. Sure. Uh, but then with Tolkien uh, getting really big in the 70s, I think fantasy, the the uh, attention and the the majority of the readership and sort of the priority switch to novels, switch to the long form, you know, with the epic fantasy where the entire, the fate of the world, the fate of all Middle Earth is at stake or all of Westeros, et cetera, um, in, in the novels. Uh, but fantasy has still had a short fiction scene going on uh, throughout. It just doesn't get as much attention. Um, whereas science fiction, short fiction, I think has still gotten more uh, attention throughout um, and then the other thing that's happened uh, to my eye in science fiction and fantasy, both in the short fiction uh, in the last 30 or 40 years, is it's gotten a little bit more literary. Um, 
there's still uh, uh, hard science fiction, short fiction, and analog magazine. Um, but uh, and there are a few redoubts of fantasy, short fiction, classic sword and sorcery style. But on the whole, the the short fiction field has migrated a little bit more literary, uh, in my opinion. Uh, so what this has ended up in with the main fantasy audience moving to novels, yet the the smaller short fiction scene getting a little bit more literary, is what I was interested in uh, when I was a low-level short story writer myself 10 and 15 uh, years ago. Uh, I wanted the feel of classic fantasy, of the really cool worlds that I'd grown up reading um, you know, things like the city of Lankmar and Fafford and the Grey Mouser or Middle Earth or, or uh, those kind of things. But sure. I, w- I wanted a more character focused type of story, you know, not necessarily literary, although literary often does have good character focus. But I wanted stories that were about people. Now, whether those people were actually humans or were aliens or fantastical creatures, that's fine, uh, completely fine with me. But I wanted stories at their core that weren't focused on action first or the world first, but that had a real person at the heart of that world or at that action. So I think what what I what I set out to do with BCS was to try to find and nurture and be a dedicated home for stories that mixed the fantasy worlds, the really rich, interesting worlds with a character-centered story, which might have action and might have an action-based plot, or the plot might be uh, internal to the character. There might not be much action, but it might be something that was very important to the character in a not-action-centered sort of way, um, and have the character you know, have strong emotional investments in an emotional arc and maybe change... Uh, over the course of the story. Uh, and, you know, I love Fafford and the Grey Mouser, but they don't really experience much character change over the course of those stories. They're fun, but those stories don't really linger with me or make me think or leave me sitting stunned, you know, for five minutes uh, after I've finished reading them. You know, they're not quite as as weighty. They're great at what they are, but I kind of like uh, uh, having both and, and I love the – there are a couple quotes from the Nobel Prize speech that William Faulkner gave in 1946, I guess, when, when he uh, won the Nobel Prize. Uh, and he said, the only thing worth writing about is the human heart in conflict with itself. Uh, and he listed off some things, uh, love, honor, pity, pride, uh, sacrifice. Um, and I think those ideas really go to the heart of what a great character-centered story is and uh, connecting with our – genre, I have heard no less that George Martin himself quote those quotes from Faulkner's Nobel speech in lectures he's given. Uh, and I think, uh, for for my taste at least, he is probably the best writer of character-centered fantasy that we have out there now. You know, big epic story, great world, all the classic fantasy things that uh, that you could point to and that readers enjoy. But also those characters are are, to me, uh, intensely emotionally uh, compelling, which I think is why he's uh, sold uh, so many uh, books as he had. So that's kind of what I was trying to do with BCS is to provide a dedicated home for that type of story. That's, that is a fantastic and detailed answer. And uh, throughout it, I came up with a bunch of questions and I think I even remembered one or two as we were going. So one thing about this that that you said that really struck me was the idea that uh, uh, the the short story uh, on the fantasy side of genre fiction is becoming a little more literary and a big thing, like one of the things you can argue this podcast is about is exploring those boundaries of genre and what they have to do with literature in general and like do those boundaries make sense and when do they make sense and all of that. So I guess my, my question to you is somebody who's been there is would you say that it is because people who are standard literary writers are trying to write fantasy or do you think the people who are more typically fantasy authors are 
sort of spreading their nets a little wider into what they're trying to write? Or am I just sort of falling into the fallacy of like the divisions in the bookstore actually meaning something? Uh, I think it's almost all of those, except the last one. I would, I would quibble with the, with the last one. Uh, I think that the, the barrier between genre fiction, science fiction, fantasy, and literary, I think all barriers are artificial things created by marketing people or bookstore aisles or, or whatnot. Um, and, and I'm a musician also, and I think those barriers in music are artificial also. So I love seeing them eroded, or I love seeing people cross over them. Um, and I definitely think that literary or mainstream writers in the last 10 or 20 years are dabbling a lot more in speculative fiction sort of conceits. Uh, and I think that's great. And and they're even admitting it. You know, Margaret Atwood uh, uh, refuses to admit, as far as I know, that The Handmaid's Tale is science fiction. But on the other side, you've got Michael Chabon, who The Adventures of Cavalier and Clay, he came out and admitted and said that is heavily influenced by reading Fafford and the Grey Mouse or by Fritz Leiber uh, when I was younger. Um, you know, Cormac McCarthy with the post-apocalyptic uh, uh, stuff that he's done. So I think those that division is coming down, is being eroded, um, and I think that's a great thing because um, it exposes uh, writers of uh, any – of either main subgenre. It exposes them to the other one and starts to cross-pollinate. Um, in the case of the fantasy short fiction, I think – that because the main readership's attention shifted to novels, the folks who were left reading the short stories were people who I think had been exposed to the short story form, uh, perhaps through a formal education, you know, through English class or whatever. Um, so I think those people may have had a bit more of a background or exposure to literary short fiction in addition to exposure to genre. Uh, short fiction. I mean, I read uh, a lot of these, a lot of the fantasy short fiction as a kid, um, and then uh, I, I'm a chemistry major. I'm not an English major at all, but you know, I dabbled in some some literature classes and was exposed to literary short fiction there. Um, and then, you know, Tolkien called it the leaf mold. You have this sort of mold in your 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 core as an artist or or as a reader, and all these things sort of um, fall into it and get pressed. Uh, into producing the the artist or the reader that you are. So I think all these things coalesce uh, in these writers. And uh, the, com the combination of the literary influence and the classic fantasy influence. And I started BCS in 2008. And one of the things that was on my mind then, the fantasy short fiction that was really big at that time was uh, a style called Slipstream that was very dreamy and gossamer and slightly surrealist. And I knew many of the writers who were writing that uh, back when I was still writing. But I also knew that some of those writers had grown up playing Dungeons and Dragons. So I had the, the hope that those writers who were writing very literary fantasy, but who had this classic fantasy experience, that if a market or magazine existed that was publishing literary secondary world fantasy existed, then those writers might uh, feel called or feel interested in writing toward that style. Um, and I, because back then I could find sort of very rare scattered examples of that type of thing of literary classic, literary takes on classic fantasy Occasionally, a piece or two would show up in the magazine of fantasy and science fiction or in realms of fantasy, um, but uh, uh, there was no dedicated home for it. Uh, and I'm very, very happy that after a few years, uh, and uh, you know, I solicited a bunch of writers, I talked to writer friends of mine, that it emerged that, yes, people were very interested in this sort of rich classic fantasy world thing, but with a literary focus on the characters uh, and on you know things like emotional resonance or the Faulkner things, the human heart in conflict with itself, uh, and I'm delighted that it turned out that way. Yeah, I um, I've already uh, like I did most of the reading of these short stories over the last two weeks, and the only reason I didn't drink them all in at a night is that I I have to work for a living, you know, <laughs> and 
I I've I've started scanning because I do I do have some access to this through the 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 Patreon. And I uh, one thing I want to say here and I I know I know this isn't the venue for giving you compliments like I th- I think what you're doing here is extraordinary and special. I can't like I think there are some good short story uh magazines and even like uh, curators in general out there that are doing a good job, but I don't think anybody's doing anything quite like what you're doing here. And I guess my question is, like, do you consider what you're doing right now successful or do you consider it like on the way to what you're trying to do? Like, is there an ultimate place you're trying to reach with this? Uh, thank you very much for the for the kind words. Um uh, that's an interesting question, you know. If if I view it uh, on the way or at the goal, um, to me, partly, um, I consider it very much an indie magazine. Uh, I have uh, three first readers uh, who call these submissions, and then I read everything else. But other than those three. Uh, first readers. I do everything. It, it really is a sole proprietorship. Um, I do the copy editing. I run the website. I record the audio. I edit the audio podcast. I do the promotion. Um, you know, which is a, a, a very Indian and and not traditional uh, sort of setup. So perhaps because of my mindset in that, I I focus. I get focused on the present. And, and don't think so much about the long term. So for me, the fact that writers are continuing to send me great stories um, and uh, I'm continuing to share them with the world, uh, that, that to me really is the, is the achievement. Uh, and, you know, it took a little while to gain momentum and get notice. Um, I think it was 2012 or no, it was 2013, the first time that we made the Hugo Award ballot for Best Semi-Prozine, which was a great achievement uh, uh, to, to me, um, especially as an indie magazine starting slowly. And I had no connections with traditional publishing at all. Nobody knew who I was. Um, <laughs> so so that that's definitely a, a, an achievement and perhaps a, 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 a milestone on, on an arc. Um but to me, uh, the the fact that it continues to perpetuate, I think, is 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 uh, a, a major achievement uh, for 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 my goals. Um, our readership uh, was doubling uh, for several years for the past three or four years. Um, uh, it uh, leveled off a little bit last year, and I don't know what the what the ceiling uh, might be. Um, we get about 72,000 uh, unique uh, visitors per month, uh, which seems uh, very comparable to the to the top magazines uh, in the field. Um, also, to me, part of it is that uh, the uh, company I founded behind it is a nonprofit organization, so it's not really driven by producing profit or you know trying to uh, establish a new business model. It's basically driven purely by the stories. Um, a published fiction. Uh, I don't publish nonfiction. Just I'm I'm not really interested in nonfiction. The stories are what's most important to me. Um, so finding those and and getting those out to the world, um, I do feel an arc in the magazine in that a number of the writers who uh, were sending us things in the in the early years, people like Tina Connolly and Elliot De Bedard and Yoon Ha Lee. Um, uh, Saladin Ahmed uh, now uh, are novelists, you know, with big novel contracts, um, and have moved up through the ranks and have been nominated and won major awards uh, themselves. Um, uh, so new authors uh, come in, which is always great. Uh, we'll talk more uh, in a minute about some of the stories in uh, issue 300, um, but I think that table of contents is is sort of a, a panoply and illustration of that. Uh, Amy Ogden, who's in that, is a newer writer uh, who we've been publishing for about a year and a half or so. Um, and that's the natural progression, you know, writers gradually move on to, uh, to novels t- to make the big bucks, uh, if you will. Sure. Uh, so for me... I don't know. I mean, partly my goal is to keep doing it as as long as I possibly can. You know, there are challenges as a sole proprietor, challenges of, you know, how many hours are in the day. Um, 
my my own writing long since dried up, and one contributing factor to that is the time commitment of a magazine. The fundraising for a nonprofit uh, is also a challenge, um, but both of those things are are reasonably stable at the time being. You know, you mentioned the Patreon. We did run a Patreon campaign last year to raise money to pay the new hire. Uh, qualifying rate that the Science Fiction and Fantasy Writers of America Writers Organization uh, uh, instated. So uh, the fundraising is one thing, and then my my uh, time commitment is another. But I basically want to keep doing it as long uh, as I possibly can. So it's been twelve. I guess we're in the twelfth year now, uh, is- issue number three hundred. So I'll, I'll keep going as long as I can. Great answer. And I, when, when I found out this was the 300th episode, like I knew you were doing this for a while, but I was, I was, I was shocked. So like, uh, because, well, I mean, like we just reached, if you count our Patreon episodes and our real episodes, we just topped a hundred. And I feel like we've been doing this for a million years. (laughs) So, so, and I mean, the investment level is so much more trying to get a group of stories together and, and make sure you've got the quality up on all of those things. So, um, I, I guess this is a two-part question. So if I were if I were an interested party who just wanted to read BCS, what would I do? And if I had a great idea for a story and I wrote it out, how would I how would I submit it to have uh, the the people who do the sorting take a look at it? Right. Um, the the reading uh, there there are really uh, uh, almost endless uh, points of entry. Um, uh, of course, we're, we're, we're online. It's an online magazine. It's at beneath-ceaseless-skies.com. Uh, we have a podcast that's on iTunes, Google Play, um, and, uh, you know, common podcast, uh, outlets. Um, but for an entree, uh, the issues we're doing right now, 298 and 299 are actually special biannual science fantasy issues which is fantasy but with a futuristic twist to it kind of like the classic novel dune if you will you know there's uh, lasers and spaceships and stuff but it's really a lot more fantasy than it is science fiction and our lead story in one of those issues right now is by yoon ha lee it's called the mermaid astronaut and i think a the concept of a mermaid astronaut is a really perfect science fantasy concept. It's both of those. So that's one entree into BCS, especially for readers who may be more used to science fiction. And we've done that biannual theme month for five uh, two-year periods now. Um, But other than that, we basically have a back catalog of uh, over 650 stories uh, published over 12 years. Um, One approach for readers who might be fans of fantasy novels would be to look at our page that lists all the stories by author and search and see if their favorite fantasy novel authors uh, might have published stories with us. We've published stories by a number of fantasy novelists, uh, including Yoon Ha Lee, Elliot de Bedard, uh, Saladin Ahmed, whose fantasy novel Throne of the Crescent Moon was a finalist for the Hugo Award. We published his professional debut, which was the origin story of the two protagonists uh, in that novel. Uh, Marie Brennan, who's a prolific fantasy novelist. Uh, She had a recent series that started with a world fantasy uh, finalist book called The Natural History of Dragons. We've published over a dozen short stories uh, by her. Um, Who else? Uh, Richard Parks, who is in uh, issue number 300, uh, had several novels published that were collected stories and self-standing novels of the protagonist character, Lord Yamada, that is in one of the short stories in uh, issue number 300. Um, Which is Hel- wonderful, by the way, side uh, note. Absolutely, <laughs> and we can get to that uh, in a second. Um, let's see, Alice Helms would be another one. Uh, Chris Wilrich, who is a sword and sorcery author. We've published a number of his stories. He was one of the writers who back in 2005-ish was writing what I thought was literary swords and sorcery. Um, There was a a duo of rogue characters, classic sword and sorcery uh, format, Um, but one of them was a poet. 
one was a thief, and then the other one was a poet. And I thought that was a delightful take, and they had a great wry sense of humor. Um, so we've published one story with those protagonists by Chris and another story set in that world, but with different protagonists uh, by Chris. Um, Rich Larson, who's in the current science fantasy issue, um, uh, has a novel out as well. Um, a number of uh, YA authors, we've published their fantasy, Tina Connolly and Beth Cato, uh, steampunk authors. Um, so I think that's an entree as well. If uh, readers have a uh, favorite fantasy authors or two uh, to come search. Um, but other than that, I mean, it, it's almost intimidating, I think, in over 650 uh, stories. Uh, but we do have links on each story at the very bottom that say, if you liked this, try this other one. Kind of like how Amazon has, if you bought this, other folks who bought that same thing also bought this. So I think that could be a way to do it too, to try and sort of trace a web through there. If if there's a story you like, follow it to another one uh, and find something else you like. Uh, and we're on Twitter too. People can uh, post questions on Twitter, uh, ask for recommendations. We're on Facebook also. Uh, uh, so that can be a way to do it as well. Fantastic. And what was part two of your oh, two-part question? Uh, I, I was talking about uh, like how how – uh, how interested, how the audience could contact you and then how the writers could. Right, exactly. We have submission guidelines on our website, uh, as uh, most magazines do, and they talk about what we're interested in. And because we are a fantasy magazine specializing in secondary world fantasies set in other worlds or historical Earth, um, I think our guidelines are, are, are important for uh, submitting writers to read to make sure that, for example, you're not sending us a science fiction story or an urban fantasy story or a modern setting uh, story. Uh, but they list things like, uh, you know, submission format and the email address to send to and a quick description of how our process works. We usually get back to folks in about two weeks, but sometimes it can be four or, or five weeks. Um, and that's all explained there. Uh, and there, uh, there's a, a comment, a web comment form where questions could be asked. You can also ask us questions on Twitter. Um, but absolutely, there's plenty of information there for writers as well who'd like to submit to us. So, uh, you know, we've uh, it's the 300th episode that we're talking about, arguably even celebrating here. And I think I think it would be a shame uh, if we didn't dig into that a little bit, at least enough to get people to go out there and read the darn thing, because I really do think it's extraordinary. Uh, one of the questions I had for you about it was uh, initially, like when I first started reading through all these stories, I was, well, you know how it is. You, Whenever you read a compilation, you start trying to look for a pattern. Like, is there a theme? Is it all taking place in one world? Is there a writing style? And except for the broadest brush of this is fantasy happening in different places, it was very hard to find real connections at all, unless the connection is check out the breadth of what fantasy could do. Uh, uh, that's, a, that's a good point. And uh, I do try to always pair things with a little continuity. Um, because this was issue 300, there were some writers and some work that I really wanted to feature in this issue. So I think there's a bit less of a surface continuity uh, than in a usual BCS issue. I mean, a usual issue also is only two stories. Um, so uh, it, it can be easier or harder to see points of continuity when there are only two points on a line, only two stories. Um, in this case, uh, uh, all of these stories are special to me for, for different reasons. C.C. Uh, Finley, Charlie Finley, uh, who's the current editor of the magazine of fantasy and science fiction, uh, he was one of the writers uh, 15 years ago who was writing literary swords and sorcery. Uh, he was writing, uh, he had three stories, I believe, in FNSF, you know, well before he was editor there, uh, of a duo of protagonists named Kuikin and Vertier. Uh, so I had been asking Charlie for years uh, if uh, those two protagonists, Koikin and Vertier, had another story in them, if he had another story uh, in him about them. Uh, and so I'm very proud that this story leading off issue number 300 is Koikin and Vertier's return to 
pros uh, after about 15 years uh, since they were in uh, fantasy and science fiction. Uh, and that story has a, a little bit more of a sword and sorcery sensibility. Um, uh, we occasionally drift toward that uh, and occasionally drift uh, away from it in different pieces. Um, uh, the other stories, uh, the Richard Park story of Lord Yamada, uh, mm-hmm. r- he wrote uh, maybe about a dozen of those that appeared in Realms of Fantasy back when it was running uh, and had written, I think, six or eight or so uh, that appeared in BCS uh, overlapping and then after Realms of Fantasy uh, had uh, uh, closed down. Uh, and then he wrote some novels of Lord Yamada uh, that were published by Prime Books. And uh, they're all self-standing stories. You know, Lord Yamada and his uh, sidekick, Keiji, who's a, a priest. Um, and again, that's sort of the classic sword and sorcery duo uh, set of characters. Um, oh, I mean, it felt really Moorcock yes, in that sense. Right. And, and you know, they're, they're often facing, you know, strange ghosts and monsters set in a medieval Japan setting. So they're interesting in different ghosts and monsters uh, uh, than found in uh, Western literature. Um, and the stories would take place in different points in Yamada's uh, uh, sort of life or, or arc. Um, but then uh, Mr. Parks had not written some of those for a few years. Uh, but then he started again, and one of the things I really enjoy about this new Lord Yamada story that I think is the first one in maybe four or so years uh, is that Lord Yamada is at an older position in his life now. He has inherited lands, and he has become a feudal ruler. He's not just a traveling, unaffiliated swords person anymore. Uh, and as a feudal ruler, he feels a very strong responsibility for these serfs who live on his land and under this system of feudal ruling, uh, they are his responsibility to protect uh, and and provide for. Uh, so I think this Lord Yamada story, uh, Uzumaki of the Lake, is different. It's similar in that he and KNG are investigating a paranormal phenomenon and navigating feudal Japanese politics. Uh, but it's also different in that he's at a different place uh, in his life. Uh, and I think that's that's very powerful as well. Can uh, I tell you something sure. odd that happened when I was reading that story? Um, I was reading at the same time as that a play by Joe Orton called What the Butler Saw. Have you ever read that by any chance? I have not. It's what one it's about a lot of things. It's mostly about obscenity, frankly. But one of the things that it's very much about is a heist that involves digging under the street in a funeral home to reach a bank to smuggle money out. And so I was reading that plot line while reading this Yamada story and it it, it was it was the strangest like the tone of the two started mixing and I basically had to put the other book down. And that's the first <laughs> time that's ever really happened to me. Uh, uh, Mr. Parks is great at those stories. And again, we have probably about 10 of them, maybe almost a dozen uh, in the back issues of BCS and on the website, all taken from different periods of Yamada's life that readers could explore um, if they wanted. You know, some when he's younger, there was a period where he was drinking heavily and that was affecting him. And then he was uh, sober. Um, yeah. So uh, fascinating to me. And and that's also yeah. a classic fantasy story format, the self-standing serial. You know, of course, Conan, the old Conan stories, in some of them he's young, in some he's a king, Fafford and the Grey Mouser, and, and, you know, written non-chronologically. But the, the uh, serial of stories that are self-standing, but that have a connection is a a classic fantasy thing. Uh, and and for the for the other stories, there are five stories in this issue, which is huge for us, usually doing two. Um, Maurice Broadus is an author I had published before in one of the science fantasy issues two years ago uh, with a piece of Afrofuturism. Uh, and, and Maurice's story, which is called Bound by Sorrow, uh, I think it has uh, also sort of a slight sword and sorcery influence, but it has more the feel of the protagonist being on a quest, uh, which has, you know, sort of physical plot reasons for it, but also has very strong emotional reasons for it. The character is driven, you know, must and needs to do this thing uh, for deeply uh, personal reasons. Um, 
it has a bit of a flavor of the subgenre called Swords and Soul, where it brings in African influences of African culture and the African diaspora uh, into it. Uh, and I, I enjoy trying to present that to readers as well, because it's a different type of swords and sorcery than than many readers are familiar with. I have uh, never. And, oh, sorry. I've well, never I, read anything like that story. It's fantastic. That's a great story. Now, one thing I, I want uh, to, to blurt in and say, tell the, the your listeners that that story does something that no BCS story has ever, ever, ever done before. And. To, to avoid spoilers, I'll hint to you since I know you've read it. Mm-hmm. Um, it has to do with the nature of that place they end up going and reaching, you know, about halfway through. That the the nature of that place is different, uh, makes that story a combination of different things than any BCS story has ever done before. Um, yet it's still a very character-centered story the whole way through. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and as you may remember, the the core uh, element in there is really a familial uh, relationship uh, between the the protagonist and his uh, late father, um, and that carries through uh, extremely strongly for me uh, and extremely uh, resonant. Um, and as if if we look at the other couple stories we've already mentioned in in the the C.C. Finley story, which is called the Hummingbird Temple, uh, the heir character there, Lynn had only tiny contact with her father, who was the the, the ruler, and she was one of uh, nine children. But there's a, a little bit of a family theme there. Um, and if we uh, uh, mention the other two, uh, these were two authors I really wanted to also have in this uh, issue. Um, R.B. Lemberg, uh, they are an author from Kansas, and I've published a number of stories by them set in their very ornate, complex fantasy world that they call Birdverse, where the main god or goddess is a bird. Uh, so that's where the, the world gets its name. Uh, and that world has very intricate social and ethnic structures, um, different family groupings of different size and number and genders, different cultures where gender determines whether you can access technology or uh, other things to determine what access you have to magic. Even if you're naturally born with magic or not, it determines whether you can practice it or not. Um, and those stories are wonderful. Um, RB has a novella coming out from Tachyon Press this summer that's wonderful as well. So I highly recommend reading those stories on the BCS uh, website, those older stories. This story um, is different and uh, set in a, a completely different setting. It's called To Balance the Weight of Kalem. Uh, and uh, it's more of a sort of early modern setting, but to me, it very much has that feel of the human heart in conflict with itself. It has um, a character, a refugee character, who's leaving a city where they've lived for a little while that they actually emigrated to previously as a refugee, and now they're having to immigrate out of it to to a, a different place, uh, a third place, um, and goes through some of the uh, uh, emotions and uh, uh, travel and cultural things of, of being in such a situation filtered through RB's uh, perspective. With that beautiful fantasy conceit of an onion carved in the shape of a city. Yes. Which I thought was absolutely amazing. And then also through the element of cooking, uh, which I think, which I always enjoy seeing because it's a craft. I love seeing crafts, whether it's, you know, blacksmithing or wood carving. And the C.C. Finley story, The Hummingbird Temple, had a scale model built out of bird bones, which was cool. But cooking, of course, is a craft and a savory sensory thing. Uh, so I thought that came through an RB story uh, extremely well. Uh, and then Amy Ogden, I've published two stories by her before. Uh, and that story to me uh, had a, a very similar note to the RB Lemberg story about being refugees and, and being in a new place and location. That story is called Never a Butterfly Nor a Moth with Moon Painted Wings. Uh, and Butterfly is the god of the narrator's people, and they have come to a new land as refugees. And the story is written uh, as sort of a slight type of second person where the narrator is sort of dictating this to uh, 
her daughter. Uh, and I found a really strong thread of commonality between those last two stories, the Lindbergh and the Ogden. And I think they both have a line that's very, very similar. And they're talking about the new land that they have arrived at as refugees. And they say, uh, very similar lines in both stories. They say, well, this new land and these new people uh, where we now are staying, it's not a prison, but they won't let us out. And I found that extremely profound as an expression of uh, a refugee type experience. But those are also both connected with family. I mean, uh, in the uh, Never a Butterfly, you've got a mother talking to her daughter. In the Maurice Broda story, Bound by Sorrow, you've got a character um, driven, almost even haunted uh, by their father uh, and so on. So I, I agree with you that the the breadth of these five stories is quite broad and is broader than than BCS usually is, um, and that's mostly because I really wanted to feature all these authors in this issue. Um, but I do think the very general theme of the human heart in conflict with itself uh, is is present all in all of those, whether it's a uh, child and parent thing from either the parent's perspective or the child's perspective. Uh, or whether it's a person's place where they are on their life arc, you know, perhaps being younger, uh, perhaps being older. Uh, and at the same time, they all have really interesting, fun, cool uh, fantasy worlds. I mean, that's still very important to me, you know, with all the talk of literary and Faulkner and stuff like that. It's still very important to me that a story be cool and fun to read, have something yes. interesting in it, whether it's the world or the monsters or the the mystery, like Lord Yamada is so great at solving you know i want it to be impactful and profound but i also want it to be fun yeah no i think i think you're really on to something there and i i think it it shows in the the collection you've formed here is that like moving towards like the the literary i think is important it makes books interesting but like there's a reason pulp exists like it's it's fun. It connects with you. It can be it can be exciting and savage. And the idea that you have been trying to find a spot to stand between the two when you gather these works, I think is incredibly cool. Well, uh, thank you very much. And I, I think that's a really good way to put it. Um, and and I have turned down stories that were too literary for me. That were that were too surreal or too magical realism um, or uh, uh, stories in second person, you know, where the voice says, you do this, you do that, um, rarely work for me. You know, that's a very literary conceit. Um, and I know it works for some people. Um, but I think I've bought two second person stories out of, uh, 650. Uh, so that could be one example where, uh, where my literariness has a, has a bit of a, uh, a boundary uh, to it because I do really think it is a balance. I want it to be a balance. Um, and if literary uh, readers, if literary fans enjoy having fun uh, once in a while and want to read BCS, that's great. I mean, uh, helping to water down that barrier um, and and eliminate it and get crossover appeal is very much something uh, that I would, would hope would be a side benefit of this. Fantastic. So, I don't know if uh, my audience is interested in this, but to heck with them. I'm interested in this. Uh, you, combined with the other work you were doing with the magazine, you have sort of a, a parallel podcast. Is that a good description of, of it? Like, I would say um, uh, basically what we do is we do audio versions of about half of the stories. Okay, uh, and we started that right away when we launched in 2008. I think we were the second uh, of the prose science fiction and fantasy magazines to do regular podcasts. Um, there, of course, were plenty of prose magazines before us, including online ones, and audio-only magazines had started. The uh, Escape Pod had started a few years before that. But after sure. Clark's World, we were the second magazine to do both text and regular audio. Uh, now, partly because of budget and time constraints, we only do about half the stories. We can't podcast them all. Um, so uh, almost every issue, usually every issue has one podcast episode uh, in it where one of those stories is told in an audio uh, version. 
Uh, and in this uh, issue number 300, it will be the Richard Park story, Uzumaki uh, of the Lake. Uh, and we've done some fun things in the past with the podcasts, uh, partly because I am an amateur uh, musician, so I enjoy uh, doing uh, uh, engaging or interesting, unusual things with the audio uh, when I can. Uh, so some highlights uh, I can refer you to. Uh, Uzumaki of the Lake will be episode number 256 of the BCS podcast. Number 251 in January was a story called Every Tiny Tooth and Claw, or Letters from the First Month of the New Directorate by Marissa Lincoln. And it was an epistolary with two different characters writing letters back and forth. So I had two different narrators read that. I had one narrator read all the letters written by one of the characters, and a different narrator read all the letters written by the other one. Uh, and I uh, interwove those. Uh, so I think that uh, came out as a very interesting listening experience. Another one would be uh, episode number 250 earlier in January is a story by an author named Tony Pye called These Wondrous Sweets. And it's actually a story in a series of four uh, that Tony has written. And the main character is a medieval Chinese street vendor who glass blows little animal figurines out of molten caramel, which is a real-world uh, Chinese street vendor craft. Uh, but then this character, after he glass blows the little animals in the shapes of the Chinese zodiac animals, like uh, uh, snake and rat and monkey, he can then talk to the zodiac gods and ask the zodiac gods, like snake and rat and monkey, to help him out with the earthly uh, uh, schemes he's fighting uh, against uh, the uh, Thieves Guild uh, in that city. Uh, so those podcasts have been read by an audiobook narrator named John Maher, and he does funny voices for all of the Zodiac animal gods. So when Zodiac god Goat is on screen talking, John Maher talks like a goat, and it's great. Um, so I highly recommend uh, those stories uh, by Tony Pye and their podcasts as well. Several of those were finalists for the for the Parsec Award. Uh, and then I think our most interesting podcast experience was episode 150, uh, which was a story by an author named Bill Powell called The Punctuality Machine. The story was actually a stage play script with musical songs in it that he didn't write music to, but they had verse to them. It was sort of a Gilbert and Sullivan parody. So for that episode 150 of the podcast, we did a full cast reading. We had people read all the different parts. There were time travel duplicates in that story of the same character. So those I panned in stereo. So you have time travel duplicates of the same character read by the same narrator talking to himself out of the different speakers. Over on the right, it says, you know, who are you? And on the left, it says, I'm you from 10 minutes ago, etc. Uh, so uh, for fans of podcasts, I highly recommend those episodes in particular. Uh, and uh, other than that, the podcast in general is basically half of the stories uh, that we publish rendered in audio versions. Fantastic. So uh, let me see here. Uh, we're probably we're probably coming close to the end of the episode. Uh, beyond uh, check out beneath ceaseless skies and check out the uh, the related podcast that that does you know a, a great deal of the stories. Is there anything else you'd like to promote and encourage for my audience? Because I mean you've you've, you've been a great guest. I I, I want to do what I can here. Thank you. Um. Uh, honestly, I would encourage anybody who's interested in short fiction to check out uh, uh, the online magazine scene uh, these days. I think we're really in a golden age, partly because a lot of uh, editors and publishers have taken it on themselves to start indie magazines, which, of course, they can do online with a much smaller investment than printing something in paper. You know, I think paper uh, for magazines in our field uh, is, is definitely drying up. But there are a lot of great magazines out there. You know, Clark's World does great uh, science fiction and fantasy. Lightspeed does science fiction. Uh, 
BCS. Strange Horizons was, to me, really the the grandparent of indie online magazines in our field. They're uh, almost 20 years old now, and they do science fiction and fantasy. Um, uh, Faya is a, a newer magazine of science fiction and fantasy. Uh, I'm drawing a blank. I hope I'm not. Uh, uh, the ones I'm forgetting, I'm sure, will be uh, grumpy with me. But uh, also, because this is online, a lot of it is available completely free. And people can check it out, see what they like. If they don't like it, they can skip on to something else. Uh, and to me, the great thing about the audio podcasts of short stories, all of those magazines I've listed do audio podcasts, at least some of their stories. And there are audio-only magazines, including Escape Pod for Science Fiction, Pseudopod for Horror, and Podcastle for Fantasy. Um, I hear from a lot of readers that they used to read short fiction, but they just don't have time anymore, You know, which I understand. But that, to me, is a perfect uh, uh, application of podcast short fiction, audio short fiction. Okay, you don't have time anymore, but maybe you're at the gym or maybe you have a commute in your car or something. Uh, so download some podcasts, check out some podcast episodes as well. And of course, those are all completely free uh, also. So I think we're really in a golden age for short fiction. Uh, if you love BCS, that's great. If your tastes are slightly different, try one of the others because all of the those magazines I listed all have a slightly different uh, angle on things. Uh, Lackington's is another one. Bourbon Pen is another one. Uh, there are tons of great magazines out there. Uh, also, if you find an author you like, try Googling their name because many of the authors we publish in BCS also write different types of short stories for other magazines. Uh, Uncanny Magazine is a huge one that, that I'm embarrassed that I forgot. They podcast as well uh, and do great stuff. Uh, so I think for readers who are interested in getting back into short fiction or interested in, in uh, becoming exposed to it uh, for the first time, you're really in a golden age of science fiction, fantasy, and horror short fiction. There's lots of great stuff out there you can sample uh, on the web or as ebooks. BCS, of course, is available as ebooks, and most of these others are too, or as audio, and find something that you like uh, and enjoy it. Scott, this this has been an absolute treat for me, and not least because uh, you've you've sort of reawakened my desire to read this version of of uh, fantastic short fiction. So thank you for that, and thank you for coming on the show. If we can come up with uh, with something of interest to you at some point in the future, is it all right if we ask you back on? Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. I, I, I love talking about uh, BCS and short fiction uh, and and spreading the word and, uh, and uh, exposing readers to it and getting them to read. So absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, and I'd love to come back. Uh, my pleasure. And, uh, well, everybody have a good time. I hope you're now pulling up the magazine. Okay?